Welcome back to season four of the Impact of Education Leadership. This is episode 69. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Tonight's talents are Jonah Bryan and Philip Durantis. Philip Durantis, please say hello to the people. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Philip Durantis from El Paso, Texas. I am currently a special education teacher in Yasleta Independent School District here in the Lower Valley, uh, currently working at Espirito Elementary School. Absolutely, absolutely. And Miss Jelma Bryan, please say hello to the people. Good evening, one and all. This is Jelma Bryan from Dallas at Young Men's Leadership Academy. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, tonight's discussion is a good one. It's a good one and one that is long overdue. It is our unsung heroes. Throughout history, there have been honorable people who endangered their lives to save others. Many people still choose to ignore these unsung heroes and the sacrifices they have made. There are so many stories of how educators and paraprofessionals have changed people's attitudes about life. Influence is power that affects our understanding, our actions and decisions unconsciously. These influences are, are formed from unknown biases residing deep in the subconscious that individuals may choose to conceal for the possibility of social and or political power. However, the unsung heroes' experiences are used to create the, the lyrics for the, the music and tapestries designed, which are the theoretical frameworks adolescents need to develop successfully in our society. Whether influences, dispositions, opportunities, or abilities, these character traits are not accessible through self-examination alone. These character traits are influenced by effective settings and practices during an adolescent's development stage. Tonight we will have a discussion. We'll have a deep, down-to-the-bone discussion about why are our unsung heroes overlooked and what reinforcements do they bring to the table. The first panelist I want to pull from tonight is Donable Delna Bryan. Delna Bryan, she is an activist, educational advocate, now in her 40th year of teaching and educational consulting in the United States of America. Past president for NEA Dallas of Educators and Paraprofessionals. She served on two committees for Delta Kappa Gamma International Scholarship Committee for the Eulalie Carter and the Oversight for Human Resources Committee. Ms. Delavine, please indulge us. What, what are you doing currently? What's going on in your world? In my world, I'm trying to motivate 
my middle school students who are combining virtual at home learning with their actual in-class learning. How do you motivate this child when there is so much going on in a pandemic? So much going on at their homes. They're telling me my uncle is in the hospital for COVID and they might pull the plug on him. I have not seen my father cry before. His brother passed away from COVID. This is the child that I'm dealing with. Many like that. Those are the students that I'm dealing with today. But I love what I do. So I feel that I'm there for a purpose. I have a purpose to fulfill. Absolutely. And we thank you for uh, what you're doing um, inside and outside of that school. Uh, when I hear you talk about motivation, the first, first two terms I think about is intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And that kind of ties into your the question that, that we have for you tonight. And that is, you know, what is the association between cultural skills and social skills and how do you use them succinctly to navigate successfully in our current society that's my question cultural skills and social skills really go hand in hand. They overlap each other. Sometimes you put one before the other. Sometimes you wrap them around. When you talk about cultural skills, these are the skills that I am bringing, that I am seeing in my classroom from the different students that I have. I learn a lot from my students from their different cultures. I have Guatemalan students that I had no experience with at all before, but talking to them, I understand that they have over 50 indigenous groups in Guatemala. They have different languages, they have different dialects. I understand my Salvadorian student or my Honduran student, they're coming with different heritage, different cultures, not only from the dance or the food or what, they're bringing unique cultures that I have to be aware of. Then how do I combine those 
into the social skills that they might need to navigate in the United States in a setting where things are totally different. From their culture, they might be bringing Spanish. That is the official language. Now from their social skills, they have to add, at times, English. So therefore, I have to be abreast and I have to be cognizant of the fact that one thing I have to say to them, yes, you might be learning the language for your social skills, but remember the depth of the language of your culture. Be proud of it. Do not leave it behind. We have what are called cognate words. And we go over whatever story or whatever we're talking, it could be a current event, so we often see these cognate words. This is what you are bringing to the table. There are certain characteristics that must be incorporated. How do you incorporate that? Are you going to do it through direct instructions? They have to resist some peer pressure that they might have. Again, it's different having peer pressure when some are at home, some are in the classroom. Are you going to do this through creative expression? If you're in the classroom, a lot of arts and crafts, music can be incorporated. How do you do that via Google Classroom? So again, you have to be creative. You might have it cooperative learning, but now, again, with virtual learning, you have to think outside the box to be able to incorporate this. The students are coming from different backgrounds. You need to understand their social and emotional needs. You have certain parameters to help them in the classroom. And one of the things that I believe wholeheartedly in for their cultural skills as well as their social skills, some are not too comfortable that the parent might not be able to speak in the social language, which is English, that they're in at school. But this is not something that you're ashamed of. This is something that you are proud of. I get my parents involved. I call the parents, and most of the times, it's not to complain about the students. 
It's to praise the parents for whatever they are doing at home during this pandemic. To keep that child clothed, fed, and at school. With all the topsy-turvy things that we have going on every day. Families are important in our cultural and social skills, especially in a time like this. <laughs> Sir? When I hear you speak, the one word that comes to mind is legacy. 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 This traditional, this this legacy, this this strength, this strong, robust teaching style, unfortunately, is diminishing. It's getting weaker. It's getting diluted. And the nutrients, if you will, if I could use teaching as nutrition, the nutrients that comes from a home-cooked meal, how do you want to label it, however you want to describe it. But it's, it's, it's nourishment because you had all of the food groups in that meal. I, I'm so, I'm so distraught, I'm so scared, I, I'm, I'm so reluctant to say that is education becoming microwave? I heard a lot of faith. I heard a lot of love. I heard a lot of joy in what you said. I heard a lot of attention. And the attention that you give your students and the faculty and the, the environment helps you see and helps you hear better. Because you are learning while you're leading. And that's what makes it the legacy. That's what bridges what you do in the classroom and outside the classroom with not only the, the local environment and the state environment, but the national environment. And, you know, the topic tonight is our unsung heroes. And Ms. Delta Bryan, you are an unsung hero. And with that being said, I want to bring in our next, uh, our next guest. Uh, please, Mr. Dorantes, please say hello again to the people. Hello, this is uh, Philip Dorantes. Okay, <laughs> this is Philip Dorantes. I am a special education teacher for the Southern Independent School District, and I have been teaching um, and pioneering the autism behavior unit for the lower valley that consists about uh, four feeder patterns that go into different high schools in the lower valley. And with that um, autism program is that we teach kids or students how to be uh, perform the academic appropriate behavior in the academic setting. Uh, both using proper social skills as well as um, acquiring the the ability to understand 
instruction to be able to perform at the grade levels that they are in. Um, the students that we receive from uh, the different feeder patterns around the school are all located for, uh, within the city limits, but however, are all directed to one campus, which is mine. And those students, what they do is they get qualified and set into my program after every service has been uh, depleted or was not um, successful on their home campus. So with my students that I work with, I am their only connection to my school. Most of them are um, available, or sorry, most of them are belonging to other schools and I am their only connection to that school. So I try to integrate them into the school setting, into the general education inclusion program to where they're able to socialize, make connections to other students, uh, build friendships, and then be able to also um, be successful in the classroom and the academic areas of all the core um, areas of academics. Um, the parents that I work with that are, that uh, take care of these children, I am their only connection to the school also. And so they entrust in me the safety and the nurturing and the health care, as well as the academics of their child. In my in in my um, in, in, you know in my role, so they have my cell phone, they have my email, they have all access to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the reason why is because they need to have that confidence and that security and that connection that their child is being taken care of and knowing that if they need to make contact with me right away that i am available to them and i'm able to have that access i'm very lucky to have the administration that I, that's at my school understand the uh the protocols and the and the procedures that are set in my classes to where i'm able to be able to have a cell phone with me at all times and text parents because of of therapies or because of um medical health care checkups or kind of uh, counseling stuff like that that they have to pull their son or daughter out of my program for a couple of hours and have those services acquired uh, through other through other venues um, with that being said uh, the cat the COVID-19 pandemic really uh, started distributing other new um, anxieties to my children, to my students, to where when they had, when they were in class, uh, March of 2020, and they had struggles that were in class where they weren't able to socialize appropriately or they weren't able to practice social skills that, that would help them, you know, not only make friends but maintain friends and stuff. They were, um, having to build or having to get other anxieties where we were doing virtual online learning and the students were at home trying to understand what's going around in the community what's going around in the community around them as well as what is going on with their family due to illnesses and um the the um, the things that they're watching in the media and on TV and in the news. And uh, the, the students were getting confused as to what is our place now? What is it that we're doing 
and what is our goal? Are we in school? Because I'm at home now. So there was a lot of questions, a lot of anxieties. Parents were were also um, caught off guard because their their home life is changing as well as their employment. So there was tons of struggles going on in the household that affected the children as well as what was going on in education that was affecting the children. Oh, I love that. I love that. I can hear nothing but compassion coming from you. Uh, I, I have to now I want to I want to introduce you a little bit more. But first, I want to thank you uh, so much for coming onto this podcast and adding value uh, to this podcast, sir. Uh, thank you, Mr. Dorantes. And, uh, you know, with that being said, you, you can hear uh, listeners the experience uh, that this man has uh, as it relates to uh, not just his students, but his, the field of education uh, in general. Uh, he's been teaching, uh, I believe, special education for over uh, 15 years or so uh, in, the, uh, in, in the state of Texas, uh, specifically in El Paso. And uh, he has uh, attained uh, several degrees, um, all the way to a master's degree in education for special education and for special learning disabilities at the University of Texas at El Paso. Um, but um, like I was saying, and he has uh, helped spearhead many, many um, committees, uh, PAC committees. Also, he uh, helped put together a autism behavior unit uh, that was very highly successful uh, in the lower valleys of El Paso as well, uh, using uh, these these strategies and these um, these tools to help uh, just strengthen uh, the student body and with social relationships at every stage of development and uh, giving them that confidence that they need uh, through his compassion. Uh, with that being said, you know, I really want to ask you a question because I want to kind of bridge this gap with uh, Miss uh, Delna Bryan. When I, I commented, I heard her speak, uh, I mentioned the word legacy, and but I also mentioned the word attention, uh, attention to detail, right? And so, you know, through your lens, through your lens and your experience, right, <clears throat> working in the different environments, the different settings from one one on one right to group settings to uh, you know school settings you've seen a lot you've seen a lot you've seen children develop you know and so with that being said how or what do you see or what will you tell a child well, how does how do students potentials how, how do their how do their potentials differ among adolescents who have positive role models uh, versus adolescents that have negative role models? That's my question. Well, sir, you are, you are correct. When it came to talking to Mrs. Delna, you can tell legacy is a virtue when it comes to uh, Ms. Delna and the years of experience that she has had in her field. Um, you had asked her earlier if, if education was uh, being microwaved now as far as nurturing the students. And at pre-COVID in 2020, in the early months of, of 2020 year, I would have been in that area where, yes, you know what, micro, it is being microwavable because um, we really needed to get out of that mindset of where teachers who had been there so many years and 
we're still used to the old making copies and doing dittos and doing um, um, workbooks that, that were being used decades before were being used decades before, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they were not being updated or not being used to uh, what the students were learning now with the new programs and the, and the new uh, data that's available now for for curriculum. And so when we went to COVID-19 pandemic role where we were going virtual online and teachers had to reinvent um, a new strategy, a new way of delivering instruction to students in all the areas of content for reading and math and social studies and science, that's when I felt like, you know what, we're not microwavable anymore. We are now on the frontier. We're re, re giving rebirth to education by using technology now and getting students to be able to interact with us without physically being in the classroom. Um, now that we're in COVID-19 and we've already got used to the virtual online instruction and the kids are, some kids are still at home, other kids are on campus because they don't have internet or they don't have a safe place to go to school or because they're both parents are essential workers and there's no one there to take care of them. We have that that connection because everybody is still learning and getting the same delivery of instruction through technology or, or person, uh, first person uh, interaction direct uh, instruction. However, um, the, the having role models of being positive and negative really de depends on the students' availability of ability to recognize when there is a positive role model and have them be able to recognize when there's a negative model because really students being um, having access to media and having access to to videos and to and to other areas and other venues of entertainment I think having a positive role model and having a negative role model kind of conflict in the ideas of a of a of a student because they're so innocent and so naive that they don't really are able to identify when there's a positive role model or negative role model. Now, that isn't the case for all students. The only reason why uh, those students that are able to identify have had past experiences with somebody that had posed a threat to them and they knew later of with consequences and, and through life experiences of being hurt or, or physically abused or anything, that was a negative experience for them and that they would know that there is a positive role model that doesn't do those, those kind of experiences or don't have or have the nurturing to promote them to become a better um, person or learn from those experiences so that, that it doesn't happen again. So I think that students not being able to identify uh, a, po a positive role model or a negative role model is an issue that we need to um, nurture and work with with students and we have programs that, that we do um, give these students through health classes or through random acts of kindness classes or social skills classes or, or Boys Town reward point system practices to where the students are able to learn the proper way of performing those um, 
those positive uh, situations to where they can practice self-awareness or practice uh, um, self, uh, self-coping skills to where they're able to, you know, deal with whatever negative situation they're in and then promote themselves to be, have a better positive outlook through what, the way that they react to those situations. So um, with that being said, uh, being a positive role model or having one around is usually if you're in, if you're in school and you have uh, students who are at home and they have all this, um, they're in the city to where they have parents who are, are at home, they're not working, parents are exhibiting some negative um, role modeling behavior characteristics, for example, and it could be minimal. For example, uh, we have students that are at home, they're trying to do their classes, uh, right behind them, their mom or their parent is watching TV. Uh, the program that the parent is watching is adult rated to where the student is trying to focus on their, on their work. Unfortunately, that work is in a workstation that's located directly near the, 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 the student and the, the, the student is just observing all this, all this adult uh, exposure to, of content that they should not usually see. So that, that's a, a, a negative role model, but it's, it's something that's, a bit, that's around them that the, ki- the kids are not really able to take a... Um, to have control over or, or take a stance against to where they're able to relocate themselves to different areas. So it really has to do with control also. Um, there's also uh, students that are able to have positive role models to where they're able to interact with students that are doing very well in class and have that, that, uh, that ability to connect with the students and through a chat and the breakout rooms of the Google, uh, Google Meets, or they're able to go ahead and, and have peer on peer um, uh, group uh, instruction to, in order to, to enhance their academics, and that's a positive role model. But it really is depending on the setting and the situation that the students are in, both in, in education and at home. So how would you sum up, how would you tell the listening audience? Because we have been fortunate to have on this podcast uh, many uh, school board uh, trustees and program directors, uh, you name it. But how, how can we get school administrators to care more about these issues that we discussed tonight? That's my question. I think uh, school administrators, they have a lot on their plate when they're um, being a director of a, of a campus or a school. Uh, school administrators, I know, have to deal with not only the superintendent and the associate superintendent, but also TEA and the state. And they have a lot of... Uh, of other um, areas of concern with parents and the community and having to establish a, a leadership role 
within their campus as well as, as for their community and, and for their, their faculty and staff. And so with, with administrators, I know that they have a lot on their plate. However, I've, I've been very fortunate to work with administrators that are invested in making sure that students are successful or trying, or, or trying their hardest to make sure that students are successful in all the areas of academics, but also to be safe and practicing social-emotional strategies to work with the students as well as teaching the students how to uh, be cooperative with one another and practice the, 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 the school rules and make sure that they, that they know that they are loved and nurtured and, you know, to make sure that they're, they are healthy and, and that they uh, have um, plenty of food and stuff to eat. However, um, administrators, to be, to, to, for them to be able to make the change is a challenge, I know, because uh, they have so many other areas of concern for, especially with showing progress and showing uh, growth in all the areas and the state exam and, and so many different uh, um, areas of assessment where they need to show uh, growth it affects the bottom line. It affects their money that they're getting into the school. It affects the, the money that they're able to to purchase uh, books and materials, as well as as purchase uh, programs and and blended learning instruction to help uh, students uh, be successful and and uh, teachers to be able to establish a new way of, of delivering instruction to students to where the students are able to be successful. Um, so with that being said, um, administrators really have a lot on their plate. So when it comes to, to administrators being able to get the time to meet and access and, and, and gather uh, information from their faculty and their staff and their teachers as to what, uh, they sh what role they should be playing in and um, getting, uh, getting uh, academic um, instructions and, uh, and getting materials and stuff. Uh, that the administrators have been trying to establish new ways, especially since we've been virtual I've seen where there's Google Forms and surveys going out to, to teachers on a regular basis about what any concerns they have or any struggles that they're dealing with, anything that they might need in order to make to relieve those struggles. Um, I know that they've been uh, doing also uh, conferences with uh, teachers on a weekly basis. Uh, professional development has now been to where it's no longer just after school, but however, it's now a whole full day now on a, a one day of the week to where teachers are able to practice online uh, vertical alignment uh, lesson planning with all their grade levels and all, as well as the vertical alignment grade levels so that they are able to get more ideas as to what's happening in the classroom at other grade levels and what's been successful so that uh, they can also, you know, show ideas to where the teacher that is struggling is able to get uh, establish a new routine of rituals to where uh, they can apply a new academic program in their classroom so they could be successful. So I know that there's been a lot of group planning, a lot of 
uh, leadership going on to where uh, coaches and instructional specialists are being involved to where uh, they're helping um, the faculty and staff be more uh, successful in the classroom, especially with uh, teachers who have been in education for many years, struggle with technology and don't really understand uh, how technology works or also to be able to make a connection with their students via the internet. So with that uh, being established and being worked on every week, it is a, a mile high milestone that we're trying to, to conquer, but eventually we'll get there. Just like you had said, we are pioneers and we are, we are working a, a new system of education that's never done before. And so we are having a lot of, um, how can you say, a lot of, we're making a lot of mistakes, but we're also making a lot of achievements. So this is going to be a, a, a learning experience for everybody to where we're able to survive, I guess, education for right now, but we will be able to be much more successful with um, in the future because we are pretty much perfecting education uh, much more effective to the students in the long run. So this is basically another revolution hint hint for the next school awakening. So this is we're 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 in the cuff of a school awakening. We are the pioneers if you, if if we can use that term. Uh, for this new school awakening. With that being said, that's a perfect tie, it's a perfect transition segue to my next question for uh, Ms. Bryant. But before I go there, Mr. Durantes, thank you so much, so much for adding value and being on this podcast with us this evening. My next thank question you, sir. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You're doing a fantastic, fantastic uh, job here. Uh, my next question is for Delna Bryant. All right, so my question to you is, uh, how would you sum up uh, how does a child's social and cultural value influence their ability to pursue higher education or living in a a place where, you know, typically they've never explored before or, or visited, but just how do they have the motivation? How do they have the innate ability to pursue things that's higher level, like education? That's my question. I think Philip kept a word that is instrumental in doing all that. You model it for them. You show them what it is. I can speak about bringing friends in so they want to pursue a higher education to be a lawyer. But have they ever seen a lawyer? Have they ever talked to a lawyer? I have friends who are 
willing to come into the classroom and talk to them, let them see and hear exactly what it is to be a lawyer. I remember reading a book of Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Chronicles of a Death Foretold. And there was a trial. The students had their parts as the lawyers. But the judge came in, who was a friend of mine, and he brought it down for them to see how a trial really took place. They had to think about their presentation. You have to motivate them again. You have to model it for them. You have to get them involved. We talk about what kind of learner are you? I am a visual learner. My students know, and they see me react to what is visually seen and what I am going to learn from that experience. We were talking before we left last week that there was going to be a traffic congestion on Mars. Little did I know that my students were going to go home over the break and come back to tell me about Perseverance landing on Mars on Thursday and they actually saw the live landing and was able to discuss it with me today in class. That made me feel that I had contributed to them getting a higher quality of learning that they needed to go on. Who knows? Maybe one of the astronauts, and that's what I asked them. One of the astronauts that we need to really for man to land on Mars is sitting right there in the classroom. I remembered again because it's fresh in my mind today. I told them this was possible because I sat in their chairs in middle school hearing about man landing on the moon. And I had the opportunity to see Neil Armstrong walk and plant the flag, the U.S. flag, on the moon and said the eagle had landed. This was one step for man, one giant leap for mankind. While I'm telling my students this and asking them about a future astronaut sitting in the room, I'm looking at their reactions. I know that I'm reaching some to pursue a higher education. 
Today I let them know. Whatever it is they want to achieve, it's in their heart. Do not let anyone sway them from their dreams. Whatever they want to achieve is in their heart. Do not let anyone change their dreams. And then I ask different ones in the room, what does that mean to you? And they could answer, I know that I'm reaching my goal. I want them to pursue a higher education and I'm reaping that. One thing that we must be aware of as teachers who are going through a pandemic, we must remember that we reap what we sow. And if we sow it with love, we will see the fruit later on with love. Thank you. No, thank you. Well, we are out of time. You know, this was another impact tonight of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 69. Um, our guests tonight were Delma, Brian, Philip, Durantis, and the topic was our unsung heroes. Good night.